0: This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Hi, I'm Hardik Vedya. You're listening to Jamsters. This podcast is about stories from the world of entertainment, media, content, and events. Every episode I'll be joined by some of the best in business, whether they are artists, content creators, filmmakers, writers, founders, CEOs, thought leaders, it could be anyone. If they have stories, I'll bring them to you. Join me in listening to my brand new podcast, Jamsters, on EP Log Media and all your favorite podcasting platforms. The year was 2014 and the date, 6th of December. The setting was a Tata Literature Festival in Mumbai and I vividly remember my guest today wearing a maroon color, Ralph Lauren t-shirt, beige color cargos, was sitting under the white canopy with his friends and having seamless conversations around books, world cuisine, fashion, business and whatnot and here i was on the sidelines contemplating for about roughly 20 minutes about how to strike conversation with this man i am not even sure but probably he must have noticed me hovering around the area and made a contact which had an warm welcome vibe i realized that that was my cue win i stepped in to ask for a quick photograph and he obliged cheerfully saying sure buddy he signed me a copy of his book i had purchased that day get to the top now let me tell you why this context is important years later after internalizing a key principles from his book I came to identify something I had considered to be my weakness all along was actually a source of real strength if leveraged correctly. Author, speaker, marketing maven, actor, but I think of him as a maverick, as a people and experience collector. Swahil said, welcome to Jamster's podcast and thanks for doing
1: this. Thank you, Hardik. Thank you for having me. You know, one of the many things
0: that I wanted to ask you is what does Suhail say identify himself most as amongst
1: the all has you done? Know? A good son, a good husband and a good father. That's it. Fantastic.
0: You've had such an illustrious journey of and I want to talk about that book. But before that, I want to talk about such an illustrious journey you've had. Uh, the things that you started off with and I remember one person that you mentioned in your book is Mr. your first boss, Mr. Ramre. Uh, right. He's had like a massive influence on you. And one point you talk about is mentorship. Uh, In today's day and age, when getting the right kind of mentors is a a challenge, if I could say, how do you think someone who's a millennial, who's a Gen Z, maybe at any stage of life, would go about finding a mentor to unlock the next level of growth in life?
1: You know, Hardik, I'm a great believer, my friend, that you can't find a mentor. It happens. It's like you can't, go to a market and find love or you know uh, do any of these things so I genuinely believe it sounds a bit cliched but I don't think you can find a mentor these things happen and you know my relationship with Ram was not exactly just as a mentor mentee I never called him my mentor by the way not even in my book I said he was Mm -hmm. like a mentor and I'll tell you why I've had many like a mentor people in my life whether it was theatre, whether it was cinema, whether it was writing, these are, to my mind, are inspirational icons. These are like lighthouses. You know, when you're a ship sailing perilously close to the coast, they guide you. But they don't guide you saying, "ye karo, vo karo, do this, do that." No, it's basically Hardik a, a, a an experience sharing process. You then decide whether you want to pick those experiences or discard them. As simple as that. The beauty about Ram Ray and you know, he passed away two, three years ago is when I joined him, response was a cutting edge advertising agency. He was one of the smartest people in global advertising, forget Indian advertising. What he, the one thing that I took away from him is expand your mind. So lateral thinking, the urge to read, get interested in the get interested in the minutest of details. Be a very attention to detail person. You know, even to this day, Hardik, if someone sends me an incorrect email with incorrect grammar, I send it back correcting it. I remember in the good old days, you people weren't born then. You know, we had stenographers who we dictated letters to. I must have in my life torn about at least... Eight to nine thousand uh, letter papers. If there was even a comma that was misplaced or mis, you know, or if there was a spelling error, that attention to detail has remained with me to this day. And for that, I'm grateful to him. I'm grateful to Badal Sarkar, who was this legendary theatre director, for uh, telling me about teamwork and trust. I'm grateful to Mirnal Sen for telling me that the script is only half the job. But the eyes for a camera are 90% of the job. So he told me and he taught me, he says, you know, you can even use half sentences to complete a sentence. So these are learnings, Hardik, which come to you because there's a divine intervention. You're the right person at the right time and you're just plain lucky. So I can't say, oh, and you know, I'm so blessed and I'm so talented and so virtuous. No, I'll never say that.
0: But do you also think that it's the kind of person that you are, you attract the kind of energies and people into your life. Maybe you want to like think of
1: it from that angle that you've been able to attract such phenomenal people. That I have to salute you for is a brilliant question. I've been asked this not by many people. I have to admit you're one of the very few. And yes, I do attract that level of what I would say is inspirational people. You know, I was a cub. In fact, the other evening, Piyush Pandey, who's the, as you know, one of the creative icons yeah. the country. So Piyush called me night before last and I put him on speaker and I want to tell my wife about the experiences we had. And I told Piyush, I said, Lakshmi ko bolo, what was my relationship with Rusi Modi? To which Piyush replied, he says, you were the son he never had. I was a lowly account executive. The year was 1990. My salary in Ogilvy was 650 rupees a month. But I made a presentation to Modi. He took a liking for me. You know, we had many interests, food being one, travel being another, music, Western classical music being the other. And what happened was, it was quite interesting that we became very, very close friends. In the sense that in those days when you had to travel from Calcutta to Jamshedpur, you had to take the steel express train. thi, Rusi would take me in his plane, and my entire Ogilvy, all my seniors, including my managing director S.R. Iyer, would poor chaps take the train. And the next day, when we'd meet in a presentation, they couldn't say anything to me because Tata Steel was Ogilvy's biggest client, and the chairman had took, taken me on his plane. That's when I met JRD. That's how I was introduced to Ratan. So I have to interject here. The emperor of data steel is a friend's
0: with an account executive. That obviously goes to show the breadth of connections and the quality of connections you were able to establish uh, such early in a career. But it also goes to show
1: the individual Rishi Modi was back then to be able to befriend you as an individual. Absolutely, R K Lakshman, the famous cartoonist. I met him in his office in Times of India building on Dr D N Road, right opposite VT. In 1985, but before that, in 1984, I had staged Bhutto, where I played the role of Bhutto. It was an Ayes Johar play, and Ayes Johar auditioned me. And kushwant Singh came to see the play in Delhi. And he fell in love with the play, and thankfully with me. And <laughs> Kushman then told me, he says, uh, what are your plans? I said, yeah, I want to do a book, uh, a twin book on Calcutta. So he says, I'll do the text, to Jake Lakshman ko mil." I went to Bombay, Gitanjali Express. It used to take two days from Calcutta to travel, second class. And I stood at 8.20 a.m. because I knew Lakshman would arrive at 8.30. Lakshman would never meet anyone, Hardik. He never even met editors. He never met the Jains. He never met anyone. And I stood there and he says, yes, what do you want? I said, my name is Sohail Seth. I'm Kushwan Singh's friend. Yes. What do you want from me? So I went inside with him sat down, I said, I want nothing from you. I said, you're a genius whose talent has only been unidimensional in terms of all the cartoons, but there's a whole world out there. Cut a long story short. We had a friendship that lasted till he died. I also became part owner, which then I relinquished of Rasi Arts, which was the company which owned the common man. We did exhibitions for him. We traveled all of India. We went overseas. And Lakshman and his wife Kamaka became my dearest friends. So when I was working for Peregrine in Bombay, I used to live in Palace Seymour in Breach Candy. He used to stay in a building called Anand Vihar, just diagonally opposite the Breach Candy Club. Every evening, Hardik, he would walk down to my apartment. Those days I was a bachelor. He and I would drink Old Monk rum. That's how I got him onto Old Monk rum. <laughs> and it was amazing. Yeah. Now these experiences, you can tell love money power influence can't buy it. these influences or these relationships come because you want nothing see i've also said in my book which you've been very kind to allude to i've said in the book that you can't go out and seek quid pro quos in life you see a quid pro quo is dangerous territory because these are all influential people there can i are always upset. Oh my God! Does he want something from me? Why is he, you know, uh, cozing up to me? So you have to build an equal relationship. And so that's there would I
0: mean. be no one, you know, there would be no one that would intimidate you. Someone that you really looked up to, and you still want to establish a rapport with him or
1: her. How would you then go about breaking that barrier? A, I've never been intimidated by anyone other than my mother. Okay. Okay. A, So I don't care. And I'll tell you why. I'm a great believer. If you say things with honesty, if you say things with purpose, you may say the wrong thing, but your integrity is perfect. See, it's an interesting question. George W. Bush, when asked after 9-11 and the attacks that he ordered on Afghanistan, he said, and you know, I met him here at the Hindustan Times Leadership Summit and I spent a whole evening with him. And then the next day, he and I met for breakfast at Taj Palace. His thing was, he says, look, I may have made the wrong decision. But in leading up to the decision, I was not dishonest. I was not disintegral, And that's what I believe. See, none of us can be right all the time. None of us is, you know, dood ke dhule. But as long as you don't harm people, as long as you don't betray people, ultimately, I'll tell you, goodness reigns, goodness rules.
0: So when you talk about goodness, the one person that comes to my mind and which I, I think, I think is an inspiration for millions across the planet. Uh, and it's, it's someone you consult very closely. Uh, I started my professional journey, uh, working with a Tata company, I vividly remember uh, his video uh, that he shared for the new employees and the kind of energy that he Exuberated back then, carries now as well. What have been your key learnings that you've been able to absorb in his company? Staying
1: so closely. See, let me tell you about uh, Rathan. Rathan is an extremely decent human being. He's a very, very warm, compassionate human being, but he's also very strategic. Mm-hmm. With Ratan, again, the relationship over the years has become exceedingly close. Now, this is what I'm going to tell you about relationships, and it's important for you to know. When Rusi Modi was fired by Mr. Tata, I wrote an article in the Indian Express criticizing Ratan furiously. From 1993 to 1997, we didn't speak. Okay. And B. Muthu Raman was the managing director of Tata Steel. Muthu invited me to Tata Steel because, as I told you, it was my first client. I had close relationships with Rusi. When Rusi was chairman, Raman was just director of marketing. When I went to Jamshedpur and saw what Ratan Tata's reign and what his influence had done in terms of people and all, I wrote this article saying Jamshedpur is where India is shining in the Asian age. That afternoon, this article was discussed at the executive boardroom, dining room at Bombay House where the Tatas sit. Ratan then wrote me a lovely two to three page handwritten letter. Then we reconnected. But then here's an important thing, Harthik. When we reconnected, my first thing to him was you and RHM. That's how we used to call rusi. Mm-hmm. In, RHM must make up. He's now old. By then, Rusi was 85. I said, there's no point taking fights to the grave. He says, okay, done. He then met Rusi and Aditya Kashyap, again sponsored Super Soccer, which was very close to Mr. Kashyap's right. heart.
0: And that's how things went. Have you ever been in a situation, Swayal, so that two important people are involved in a tough spot, in a tough situation, and you are close to both of them? Handling these delicate issues. How do you navigate them? Because these people obviously come with their own set of postures, like you mentioned a little while back. Uh, Quid pro quo, you mentioned. Uh, you don't want to be in a situation that jeopardizes the relationship with both of them. How do you handle this thing?
1: So, in the good old days, when I started, restarted work with the Tatars with counselage, at that time, if you remember, Mukesh had started, Reliance had started, Arcom. Mm-hmm. telecom venture and we in Tata's had TTSL, Tata Services Limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One day there was a dinner at Mukesh's house in this older house, Sea Wind. And the dinner was for Praful Patel's daughter's wedding. Mm-hmm. The next day, Mr. Tata tells me, he says, last night I couldn't sleep because of all the noise that was coming from your friend's house. What would an ordinary person done? Criticize that friend. Saying, yeah, yeah, it was too loud, you know, I'm so sorry, it was too loud. I said, Mr. Tata, he hosted a dinner which was a celebration, as simple as that. And I ended it there. When, on October 24, 2016, Cyrus Mystery was sacked by the board of Tata Sons, I messaged Mukesh saying, please call up Mr. Tata and extend your warmest wishes because he had taken over as interim chairman and your support. And to be fair, Mukesh did that. Now see where that relationship is. I took Akash Ambani to Mr. Tata's office two or three years ago. Today, the Ambani's and the Tata's share a warm, lovely relationship. A relationship that is a, a superb relationship between Radhan Tata and Mukesh Ambani. So the underpinning of what I'm about to say is as simple If you can make people come together, do that, but never make them fight. Because no one benefits. And that's my simple credo.
0: When you talk about these amazing individuals, which have been obviously inspiration to so many, when you say about bringing people together, is this about good opportunities, good faith, business, good karma? How do you
1: look at this? I look at it as good karma. See, business, here's the thing. You've read my book, so you... My cardinal principle is never make clients out of friends. Make friends out of friends, you know. So, I mean, yeah, if I had to monetize every relationship and I have relationships not only in India, I have relationships across the world. One of my dearest friends is Lionel Baba, who was the most powerful editor in the world. He was the editor of the Financial Times for 15 years when he published his book. Uh, about six months ago, I was the first uh, recipient uh, of a copy, signed copy. And the inscription was to my dear friend Suhail, who opens every door that's possible in the world. Coming from Lionel Baba, that's a bit rich because he opened, <laughs> he could open any door he wanted. So you don't ask for anything. And there is a lot of barkat in what you have. The problem with us as human beings, and it's a It's a natural problem. It's not insurmountable. Is we mistake greed for good. We mistake money for happiness. Mm -hmm. We mistake wealth for stature. Now, these things were taught to me because of the city I was born and raised in, Calcutta. Calcutta doesn't recognize pride or prejudice. It doesn't recognize which car you're in, which house you live in. It recognizes our mental capacity, mental capacity. what is it that you bring to the party as a mind and as a human being? So its values, that's the whole thing. One of the things that you've uh, mentioned
0: is something that I really resonated, but I'm trying to sort of incorporate that on, on a regular basis. And I think this is uh, maybe parallel learning for a lot of people. You mentioned that importance is transitory. Look for accomplished
1: people and not important ones. You know, I I tell you, Hardik, you're a young man. You're doing so well in your career. Follow this advice to the core. I'll tell you why. You must recognize that ultimately you have to sleep alone at night. You have to sleep with your own conscience. You have to sleep with your own level of goodness or badness. How do all of us function? We can function in two ways. I decide who will I manipulate and therefore I will seek people who are powerful, who can work the phones, who can give me something. Or I say that look, Mira Jivan and see, David Ogilvy famously said that you must always have an inquisitive mind. An inquisitive mind is born out of two premises. number one, the constant desire to learn and number two the constant desire to read these two qualities will always be found in accomplished people because they are accomplished only because they follow these two principles. So if you take to heart these two simple cardinal rules that I've laid out for you, you will never go wrong. See, you and I will always meet people of great influence, people of this thing. You know, I'll give you an example. Nina Gupta is a very dear friend of mine, the actor. So is Boni Kapoor, Arjun's father. Yesterday, I saw Sardar's grandson. At night, I called up Boni. Boni says, Are yaar, so coming from you. Well, now, what do I need from Boni? Nothing. Then Boni calls me back in 10 minutes saying, I've got Arjun on the call. So I told Arjun, I said, I have to tell you, young man, I'm your dad's friend. And your uncle's friend. But you've done a sterling job. What is Arjun Kapoor going to do for me? Oh, what is Boni Kapoor going to do for me? Do I need them to attend my dinners? No. They're just good friends. Boni's a very, very dear friend. You know, when Mr. Bachchan won the national award for black, we were both in London and he was getting the award in September, October that year, whichever year it was. So I said, let me host a dinner at home. Now, if I wanted to take advantage, I could have called the press. I could have had page three coverage it. There nothing. There were three to 400 people including people he had never met in 20 years people in whose gardens he had grown up there's a gentleman called MK Rasgotra he's india's most distinguished diplomat ever mm-hmm. he's 97 the only people he meets are lakshmi and me and the only people he invites are lakshmi and me he's 97 i'm curious to know why is that why why because you because he knows that a We will always have a warm, engaging, perhaps at times controversial conversation where we will not hold back. And he also knows that I have nothing to gain from him. I don't need him to put a a recommendation in for some visa or some passport or some rubbish. Now, I know most people that one needs to know. My mother is stage four cancer. I took her to the passport office because her old passport had expired. It's another matter that the passport officer seeing her condition hurried it up. But I didn't make any calls. I could have made calls. It was in smack in the middle of the pandemic. In fact, the passport visit was on the 18th of March this year. I could have called up hundreds of people saying, Yeah, passport officer ko bolo, ghar pe I waited for the jab for the vaccine when it was my turn. I'm 58. There were people who were going much younger between February and March. They were flying to Pune, they were flying here, they were flying there, getting their vaccines, whatever. So you have to ultimately live with your own conscience.
0: When you talk about, you know, the importance of or rather, you are outspoken in terms of your viewpoints, the values that you hold.
1: Do you also risk alienating people in the process? Of, not risk, I have. But I don't care. Hadik, Winston Churchill famously said, the only person you've got to be popular with is your wife. <laughs> and in 2018, <laughs> there was no reason to be popular. And after that, I'm extremely popular with my wife. The rest doesn't matter. I'll tell you You see it in your life also. There will be a lot of people who will be the modules. You know they'll be the the spectators they will come to you ha how are they brilliant 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 never get taken in never think you're brilliant never think you're bright you know i'm accused of being arrogant of being pompous but the truth is up until i got married i couldn't suffer fools then lakshmi my wife told me saying listen you've got to be calmer i was never rude but i was obnoxious in the sense You know, someone is making a stupid point. I would call them out. Nowadays I met you. And remember, if you have a daughter, she calms you down even more. Now I'm at a stage where I don't get angry or upset. And you know, I've always used wit as a very potent tool. So now I keep using wit to trounce people rather than, you know, get angry or upset. So obviously your Twitter commentary and uh, your uh, TV
0: presence can sort of, uh, you know, alienate people in terms of the opinions that you have, but I I understand they're rooted in a lot of values and ethics and you're very clear in terms of black and white about the point that you want to maintain. But however, the receiving end, it might not be all that black and white, right? So uh, like you mentioned, you don't care, but in case you do want to make amends, do
1: you go about actually doing it and sort of clearing a stand later? No, no, I don't. I don't. If I've done something cardinally wrong, I'll apologize. I have no see. I have no issues in apologizing to people. But no, I will not change my stand, which is born out of my intellectual belief. Please remember, go back. You Google me. Just type set and Narendra Modi. I was the first person in two thousand eight when Modi invited me to his house in Gandhinagar for dinner. I was the first person to say this man will be prime minister one day, and I'm mm-hmm. a great uh, admirer of his wars. But in the last few months, I've been extremely critical. And to be fair, both to him and to the BJP IT cell or trollers, they've not gone after me because they know that I have no political affiliation. I just don't care. For me, what I see is what I will comment on. What I don't see, I will not comment on. As simple as that. So here's
0: the thing that I'm curious to understand, Uh, the kind of eclectic taste that you have, the kind of interests that you pursue, the books that you read. I'm very curious to understand how was it that you're able to form an opinion about a barrage of topics and hold them with
1: conviction. So number one, read, read, read until you die. I will never make an opinion which is factually riddled with errors or factually incorrect b i will never talk on an issue that i don't know anything about you will never see me comment on you know robotics and uh, nasa and you know space program i don't know damn about it but yes where the citizens are being hounded are being harassed are grieving where the pandemic process has been screwed up of course i will speak and a lot of people in the last 10 15 days you'll be shocked i have a friend shibani malotra her father messages me. I didn't have his number. Her father's 91, Jaggi Malhotra. And he called me, he says, well, I saw your P Guru's interview. You have to meet Mr. Modi, all the suggestions you made, you must give them to him. Now, there are two ways of looking at it. One is you, your head could swell with pride. Or the other is you say, thank you, sir. And then move on. And you've got to be realistic about the things you can and the things you can't do. Sometimes we try to do stuff which is beyond our pale of either intellectual achievement or beyond our pale of realism. Just walk away from that. See, I don't know if you're a country music fan. Kenny Rogers brilliantly said, walk away from trouble when you can. I've amended it. Walk away from things that you can't handle. There's no point. There's no point.
0: At a point in time when, you know, raising your opinion, raising your voice can can genuinely impact your career. Uh, are you bothered about such things when uh, when someone who genuinely has an opinion, like you so strongly stand for, but a parallel in an industry, a business leader or a celebrity would make a comment and uh, they would be in a very difficult situation to handle. Do you think, is it because there is a vested interest that people go after them? Or because you as an individual do not have a vested interest,
1: you feel that you're in a safer spot? See, let me tell you, you know, vested interest. If you propound that vested interest, it gets seen. You can't, you know, you can't live with vested interest, my friend. You can't. Because at some time, at some time or the other, it will show up. People can see through. You know, you may be the smartest person in the room, but don't think people can't see through. To this point, I'm, I'm curious to understand success
0: comes in many forms and shapes. Right? So it could be in terms of people, it could be in terms of material assets, uh, it could be in terms of intellectual rigor. Uh, what is it that someone should do to not become an enemy of their own success?
1: Don't take yourself seriously. And how do you put that into action? You never, you, as I told you, you can't be perfect in everything.
0: So when someone is going through that process, when they have been able to create an image which is larger themselves, or you know done so much, it is it is easy, right, to fall into that trap
1: that you are invincible. Is there is there some advice around that? See, never get caught in your own hubris. I I don't know if you if you're a Shakespeare fan. Of course, right. This the whole premise of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar was built around the fact that Caesar was caught in his own hubris. In fact, the the word hubris came into into literary parlance from the inspired works of Plutarch, who wrote this seminal work called Lives. One of his works was Lives. It's referred to as Plutarch's Lives. So all the historical characters by and large were drawn from that. And Caesar always thought he was invincible. He was infallible. uh, You know, he could do no wrong. And then he tripped. So you can't be over convinced or over believe that, oh, bhai, mere pe, you know, my grandmother, she's dead. God bless her. She used to say in Punjabi, Koi banda hai, nahi aga hai, jide means there is no person walking the earth who has light bulbs all around him. So, <laughs> you know, you've got to, you've got to see the thing. Hardik is. You've got to come to terms with the smallness of your bigness. Mm. There's a debate many, many years ago. I don't think you were born then, also. I think it was 1984, 85. IIM Joker. I had the most formidable speaker against me called Robin uh, Jacob Robbins. And he was already in IIM. And the topic was this house believes in the smallness of bigness. And I started by saying that the epitome of that because Calcutta was at home is Mother Teresa. How did Mother Teresa start? She started by looking after lepers. Leprosy was a scourge then as it is a scourge now. Her whole thing was that I cannot treat people for leprosy, but I can give them a death of dignity. Missionaries of Charity is the vehicle that she used, but the home was called Nirmal Hriday Home for the dying. And you know what Nirmal Hriday means. It was in the smallness of her work that her bigness took form.
0: Your points are so accurate in terms of the way you construct arguments. I'm
1: curious to know, are you a head person or a heart person? I don't know. You know, all these things are now fashionable. Are you EQ, GQ, FQ CQ, I don't know, head or heart, I mean, you know, so I can't comment on that. Are you a head person, are you a heart person, I don't know, and you know, frankly, every human being should have everything because those organs are there for a reason. <laughs> Very valid point. You mentioned something
0: about the value of reading, how important people, interesting people are very good readers. Uh, and one of the things that you mentioned in the book is don't be a bloody bore. Right? Uh, yeah. be, be interested rather than interesting, if I've put that correctly. You want to expand on that thought a little bit for our listeners and, and
1: how could they sort of put that into practice? So it's very simple. Suppose you're not an interesting person and you're a classic bore. and I have one or two friends. In fact, one friend's nephew, I said, your uncle is dull as dishwater. That bugger went and told his uncle and that uncle never spoke to me after that, but that doesn't matter. See, you can only be interesting if you're interested in everything. Like this morning, my wife was telling me about this champagne, you know, called Armenak or whatever it is. Aramand or whatever the hell it is. And it comes with a booklet. So I started reading the booklet. At the end of the booklet is a whole glossary of champagne terms. So all our lives we've heard Grand Cru, Grand Cru. You know what Cru is? Hmm. It's a single village. It's the best hmm. grapes found in a single village. And de called Cru. Now, if I wasn't interested, would I bother? It's, it's a booklet which comes in this really fancy box. I would have just chucked it. But I sat on the balcony and read it. You know, I'll tell you, it's very interesting you're asking this question. Derek O'Brien, you are a member of parliament. His dad, Neil O'Brien, used to run quizzing in Calcutta. Right. The, the prize money in those days was 2,800 rupees. I don't know why the buggers didn't round it off. <laughs> the last question, which was the tiebreaker, there were only two teams. It was called the North Star quiz. North Star, which was a Bata brand. And the last question, which is a tiebreaker. So either of us could have won. The question was, what's a roadside Ronson? I put my hand up immediately. So Neil O'Brien says, well, you know the answer. I said, why the hell would I put up my hand? (laughs) What is it? I said, it's that jute choir, which is hanging outside every Panwala's shop from which you light a single cigarette. Now, how did I put two and two together? Ronson was a very famous brand of lighters. Why would you call something a roadside Ronson? Because it's available at the roadside. Yeah. Ronson writers weren't available at the roadside. You just got to put two and two together. Now, I used to love doing the crossword. And the crossword, again, teaches you a hell of a lot of stuff. And I always joke with people. I said, well, if you do crosswords, you've got to have a twisted mind, but a brilliant mind. And I'm not saying I have a brilliant mind, but you have to have a, you see... What you people say in Mumbai Hindi, wo thoda hona hmm. it doesn't follow a linear path. No crossword follows a linear path. You have such culturally diverse experiences of growing up
0: in Kolkata. Uh, you mentioned about Delhi so strongly, uh, Bombay, you've lived your business life as well. Uh, what, what are things that you draw in terms of values and, and, and skill sets? Uh, traversing through all these places because there must be some connecting thread in terms of culture, uh, people.
1: What have you picked up on? Nothing yet. You know, if I may be permitted to say it's a in, an opaque question. You know, you go through a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, you can't say what have you picked up. What you-? See, life is a composite set of experiences. Life is not about linear experiences. And that's, that to my mind is what you should consider also, Hardik, as you guys grow up and you flourish in your careers, you must remember that life is a composite set of experiences. And you can't take things out of context. Everything in life is contextual. I'm talking to it's contextual. True, true. So that's how you've got to look at it.
0: When you consult executives uh, over various kinds of matters, who does Suhail say consult in professional lab or maybe
1: personal matters? You know, to be fair, I mean, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll laugh when I say it. But yeah, the whole thing is, And if I have to consult between you and me, if I have to consult, I would consult uh, to my mind, my books. I would deep dive into my experiences. And that's how I would look at it. So when you started Counselage, uh, was it
0: never this ambition of scaling, growing, having multiple offices? Because you've, you've come from and you've interfaced with such phenomenal institutions. Did that probably not rub off on you when you were starting off Counselage and and probably looking at global ambition in
1: terms of the work that you do? No. So now, A, I'm the most expensive marketing consultant in the world, not in India. So let's part that. Right. Number two, exactly the question you asked. My, the answer was always opposite in my head and has remained to this day. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to become a McKinsey. Because I'm not too good with managing people's expectations. Yeah, air condition nahi problem problem. I don't have the time and the headspace. I've had a team of three people. Siva, who's been my secretary for 27 years. And Ram Pyare, who's the accountant for the last 25 years. Wow. So there's just a three-member team and me. And the reason I can charge the way I do is because I'm there for every meeting. You see, what happens is in a consultancy or in an advertising agency, for the first pitch or for the first meeting, the CEO will come after that. They'll give it to the bachcha kachas. Right. If I had structured it as a large company, I would never be able to charge this kind of money. And please remember, I charge this because I know the value I give. Because remember one thing, Hardik, no one pays you because they like your face. I mean Mukesh Ambani or Radhan Tada or Pawan Munjal or Sanjeev Goenka or Ford. I mean, they don't need me unless they find value. I mean, the whole world is their oyster. So if you give value, you will be valued. If you don't give value, you will be valueless. You know, when someone is starting out, when someone is starting out, because I want to uh,
0: sort of extend this model a little bit more, uh, is that when someone starts out and they are in that place where they are a small player, they do not have a Rolodex of contacts that they can reach out to. Uh, And this circles back to the point where you mentioned that friends out of clients and not clients out of friends is that when they start out, they would reach out to the people that they immediately know, right, the most familiar with, the most comfortable with. Do you think that default setting needs to change? Because generally you would reach out to people that are in a friend circle or people that, you know, or relative,
1: but, you know, something that is a lesson. We learned the hard way and I, she's my dearest friend to this day. So what had happened was when we started the advertising agency, my brother Swapan and I, Swapan had done brilliant work on the park hotels. Brilliant. We had named all their outlets, blah, blah, blah. So we said, yeah, ye client to, aiga aye, and we made a pitch. Remember, we've just started our own agency. We had 12,000 rupees in the bank. Mm-hmm. We made the pitch. And guess what? Priya Paul didn't give us the account. And her logic was she's saying, You guys have just started out. My brand is growing. I can't take a risk. That day, I learned the most valuable lesson of my life never take anything for granted relationships, business, friendship, nothing.
0: So you were able to after that one experience internalize that learning that quickly because it does take a lot of time for, uh, you know, a bunch of experiences to understand that maybe, you know, not getting business does not equate to not having a friendship.
1: See, let me tell you, have there been clients who I've had who have become friends and then we've parted ways of course, but we've remained friends now normal human behavior. Is, yaar, aray, tumne business relationship? Diye, I don't want to do anything with you. Sorry about that. I'm not built that way. For me, a relationship is valuable. I'll give you a small example. When we were running Equus, Vandara Lutra Curves and Curves was the name of the brand, which today is called VLCC, owned by Vandara and Mukesh Lutra. We did the work, our work finished, we parted ways. Vandana calls me her brother to this day and my mother her mother. Every day, every birthday of mine, every anniversary of ours, every birthday of my mother's, she sends a humongous gift or whatever. And it's just genuine love. I have not worked with VLCC for the last 15 years. But has my relationship changed? Not at all. Not at all. And these are people we should be grateful for having come into our lives. So my belief, Hardik, is very clinical. Never ever give up a relationship because relationships are damn difficult to forge. That's very true. See, you can have a transactional relationship. but (laughs) Now, you and I are talking. I haven't, I mean, I may not even remember, to be honest, that we met at Lit Live or whatever. But now we've established a relationship. So the relationship can either go forward or it can just pause here. But the point is, why would I not want it to go forward if I haven't harmed you or you haven't harmed me and vice versa? So the point is, you've got to look at things through the prism of logic. Logic and common sense have escaped our lives. That's where surrealism has come in your Instagram feed, is it? No, no. In, what had happened was there's a very brilliant guy based out of Bombay called Farad Asidwala. Now right. Farad. He's 23 or 24 now. He met me about four or five years ago in the lobby of Tad End. He says, you know, I've been meaning to follow you, blah, 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 all of that. I have recommended him to a zillion clients, but he doesn't need me. I've recommended him only because he's brilliant. He's beyond brilliant. Now you tell me but you will get blessings of people you help. Karma is a great thing to be cognizant of. And you know, never help by saying to yourself, yaar, I hope the bugger thanks me or send me a bottle of champagne or send me this and never. See, the, the, the biggest enemy of happiness is expectation. Mark these words, my friend. These are all original. I am not, I'm not really carrying a book of quotes and telling you. <laughs> sure. But that is the biggest enemy of happiness is expectation. We are at this inflection point in our lives where we just want more. We don't pause to celebrate what we have. You know, during the pandemic, when it began last year, I began to study Uh, plants and flowers. People thought I'd gone mad. Then I resumed vigorously, not lightly, vigorously, my culinary skills. And every day I make breakfast for my one and a half year old daughter, for my wife, my mom. Why? Because I love it. We have enough staff, but I love it. I love experimenting. So point I'm making is, that you mustn't expect something in return for what you give. Because it changes the denomination of that relationship and it changes your happiness quotient. Your happiness idiom goes for a toss.
0: Talking about the point of more, you are at a place in life where you mentioned that there are so many things that you've accomplished. Is there anything that you are still striving for? What is it that's still driving you? What put in situ out of every morning?
1: I'm not struggling for anything but yes I'm desperate to learn two things I'm desperate to learn French and I'm desperate to learn playing the piano
0: well, See I think, uh,
1: I sing at people's birthdays even as a friend yeah not as a professional crooner Of course of course <laughs> I've, done theater, I've done cinema I've written books you know, I think I've done fairly well in the marketing arena in this country and overseas. Now, you just want to keep embellishing it. Yeah? There is never a stop. The day you stop embellishing <laughs> yourself, you're dead. I think that's an really?
0: unquenchable thirst that you always have for learning, right? So, I think that is where it's all reflecting.
1: A, B, reinvention is not a bad thing if it is progressive. If you reinvent yourself for the worse, then there's a problem. But agar you मंथन करो, you know the churning from which emerges greater goodness, greater talent, then it's worth it, yeah. And when you talk about, you know, the idea of a reinvention
0: and we're living in a age and time where uh, social media can either destroy or genuinely make someone's life as as a breakout success. Uh are there any key tenets uh Principles about managing a personal brand, personal identity, personal image.
1: You know, a lot of people have asked me, oh, personal brand and all. Don't ever get into that. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why. If you do there'll be a problem. What do you mean by that? What's what's the problem are we referring to? You see, your, what was your pointed question?
0: The pointed question is
1: that when
0: we are in an age and time where one thing can really make your breakout success or not, uh, how do you manage a personal brand over your career, uh, or do you even think about
1: that way for that matter? Let's no, let me put it that way first. I don't think, and I've told any of my all my clients who say, are personal brand," I said, "Jo hona hai, wo hoga. Log, How the hell does it matter? So it doesn't really bother me. Someone abuses me and all. Damn good, here. Yeah. Karo gali." See, the late Amar Singh used to famously say, Charcha, parcha, kharcha. You must always be in charcha, you must always be in the newspapers and you must have enough money. Would that
0: also sort of translate to the, I mean, advice you would give to your clients as well, that uh, let's say someone is abusing you on social media. Uh, for example, Mr. Arun Mahindra is phenomenal at using Twitter for the social good, amplifying the voice of what really matters. Uh, maybe someone else is not doing that very well. And you find an opportunity to probably consult them, not in the business perspective, but genuine value providing uh, to probably enhance their image to make them better individuals in terms of the public sphere. Would you give that sort of advice to someone? Because on an individual level, you're saying it doesn't matter to you. You don't think about that. But to, to
1: me, as Suhail said, my advice to company CEOs, because they also carry the burden of shareholder accountability and all the other things. For them, my advice would be very considered. My advice would be that let your product or let your service speak for yourself. And if you've screwed up, apologize. As simple as that. You know, ek baat hai. Agar aap Hindi bhasha, ko padhe ya dekhe, There is no word in Hindi for guilt. Think about it. There is no word. Hardik, you keep racking your brain all day today. And if you think about it, come back to me. There'll be little, little variation. There's no accurate descriptor of the word guilt. Interesting. So I'm saying apology is a great antidote. If you believe you've screwed up. But apologize on substance. And an apology must be followed by corrective action, not coercive action. So at what point in maybe let's say
0: friendship, friendship equation, would you ever recommend someone parting ways? Because I I know you as an individual uh, stand fiercely with the people that you respect, uh, people that you vehemently believe in. At what point do you part ways?
1: You know, to be fair, I haven't parted ways. People have parted ways with me because of some stupid thing. They interpret that I may have said and I really don't care because then that was not a friendship meant to be. My definition of a friendship is the friend, let's say Hardik becomes a friend of mine and I say something uncharitable or stupid. Hardik should pick up the phone and say, yeah, Sohail, why are you And we clarify end of matter. But I will not go to Rohan and say, yeah, Hardik said this about me, I'm going to screw him. Not worth it yet. I don't have the time or the headspace or the energy. You know what I'm saying? You don't need Absolutely. to do these things. And often between you and me, It's our ego which takes precedence over logic. I'm saying replace that equation. Let logic be your guiding force and not ego. The day you make that change, you're happily moving onward.
0: Such insightful points. I mean, uh, I'm just trying to sort of process all this and and think about guilt and think about uh, the value systems, about not having expectations, about not having ego. Uh, Life seems to a listener, as such a black and white perspective uh, that you probably carry. But it uh, is.
1: Hardik, my friend, it is. Please go back into global history. You know, we venerate Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. civilization. Manu, 3,800 years ago, in Manu Smriti, talked about Dan ours was the first civilization which talked about giving back about charity it's another matter that over the years over centuries we lost that prism of hope but long before all these western philanthropic organizations look at the splendid work that ramakrishna mission does True. across India. so point i'm making is humbler ye hai to delve into our historical lineage or our historical legacy and then see for ourselves where we have traveled. And we as a civilization have traveled a lot as all civilizations do. Mesopotamia, Egypt, they all travel a lot. You know, this podcast wouldn't be complete
0: if I wouldn't ask you book recommendations because I've been wanting to ask you this for a very long time. What are are books that inspire you or books that you go to for reading uh, about, about literature, about writing. Uh, I just I just want to like probably talk about everything that inspires you in terms of books. What books do you go back to or books that you write or authors that you appreciate about?
1: No, so I'm a great PG Wodehouse fan and I love his wit. I love his his sense of satire. I'm a great Shakespeare lover. On a good day, I can still quote almost 18, maybe 17 plays ad Plays that have actually. I'm a great, great fan of Premchand, of Tagore. Uh, Yeah, I read a lot, yeah. I read almost a book a day. So, you know, don't ask me this question. It becomes very... You know, you should ask people who read one book a year, Ki, bay, kaun si favorite book? <laughs> but I will not be able to get the depth uh, and, and, and the range of quality
0: from them, which is why I have to ask an aficionado like you, uh, a lover so, of books like you.
1: So, in the good old days, when I was growing up, I used to love biographies. Just adore them. Because I thought biographies were superb insights, not only into the man, but into the period that the man or woman lived in. Literature has always been my first love. I'm a literature graduate and a postgraduate in comparative literature. So then I love current affairs. I mean, yeah, you know, it's a damn tough question. You all will think I'm being non-humble, but I read voraciously. I read bloody cookbooks. I read uh I mean, you know, it's insane the stuff that I do.
0: So I think that's a well-established style, because which is why I, I had to ask you this, and and you've been very generous in at least naming a few people that you definitely uh, you know admire and respect a lot. Uh, one thing that I've I've been meaning to ask you is your successes are, are public literature. Uh, we read about them a lot. Everyone speaks about them a lot. What are these unsuccessful attempts that you've been through in life that maybe haven't been covered extensively, or you are so many,
1: yeah. so many. We started Equus, my brother and I, in 1996, 1999. Our biggest client, devo Motors, sacked us overnight. That was a huge failure. It was a failure on my part as the CEO. That I couldn't keep the biggest client back. My second, I tell my brother that, was that I could have taken Equus to being at least in the top five agencies. I failed. <laughs> I failed uh, at learning golf repeatedly I failed at losing weight I failed at stopping smoking I mean I'm a long list of failures please don't get me wrong I mean that's why I told you aapki haisiyat aapke successes nahi define karte aapke failures define karte. for all the stuff that people say oh suhail has got a lot of willpower bullshit I don't have any willpower I haven't been able to give up smoking yet, and I'm reasonably you know knowledgeable and I know the harm that it does but I haven't been able to give it up. It's a tremendous failure. I haven't been able to bloody learn the piano. Well, my parents uh, are a harmonium uh, team uh, in Calcutta. I can't play the goddamn harmonium. So I have a long list of failures, my friend. I have far more failures than you can imagine.
0: Which is why it makes you that uh, the kind of person that you are. The kind of experiences you've collected all along the way. The kind of people that you've interacted with. Um, so well, it's been such a pleasure and... Thank you so much for speaking with us.
1: Thank you, Hardik. It's one of the first few podcasts I've done. I mean, I've done Clubhouse and all, but it was a real, real pleasure. And thank you so much.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Jamsters, make sure you subscribe on EPlog Media website or your favorite podcast streaming apps such as Apple Podcasts, GeoSavan, Ghana, Spotify, and more. Also, if you use Apple Podcasts, do rate and review Jamsters as it helps other people to discover this podcast. And for suggestions, feedback or ideas for me, follow me on Instagram at the rate Hardik D. Vaidya, or on Facebook at Hardik Vedya.